Hey, good, good evening. Um, turn, take your Bibles. We have a lot to go through today. And actually, we are in Acts chapter 3, but go to 2 Corinthians actually real quickly with me. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 9. I want to start there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's start in verse 9. And I've got four passages I want to look at really, really fast uh, to make a point, and then we'll move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and of course, uh, one of our more famous verses, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, and Jesus has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Some versions say my power, for my power is perfected in your weakness, okay? Uh, Most gladly, Paul says, therefore, I will rather boast about my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Okay, so hold that thought. Go uh, to the right a little bit to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Um, If you get to Galatians, go one book over further. Galatians, Ephesians, go two books over. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Philippians 4, verse 10, Paul is speaking again, and he says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me, uh, indeed you were concerned, uh, that's not right, Philippians 4, uh, let's see, somebody find it for me, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, there it is, Philippians 3.10, I found it. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Okay, so Paul is saying that I may know Jesus, okay, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, okay? Uh, Go to the right just a little further and go to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy. And let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 7, so 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Philippians 3, 10, 2, Corinthians, or 2 Timothy 1, 7, Paul again is writing to Timothy and says this, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And then jump over to Hebrews, a couple books to the right, just a little further. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And Jesus, uh, the author of Hebrews says in verse 3 of chapter 1, And Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature And Jesus upholds all things by the word of his power. Now, obviously, the word in all four of those verses that we're focusing on is power. And Paul says the power we get is from the resurrection of Jesus. And the power that Jesus has in Hebrews chapter 1 upholds all things by the word of his power. 
So we're dealing with a powerful being that when he died and rose again, left his power in you for those who believe. And I think it's time, guys, that as we look at the book of Acts, this this transition book, this book of, of how the church began, we start to get back to, or at least asking the question while we're here tonight, do I have that power? Because here's the deal, Christian. If you know Jesus, you have the power. This is not um, a buffet-style salvation where I come and I want, I want this, but I'll pass on this. And some people have this, but I don't have this. And, and then I just get what I need to punch my ticket to heaven. But rather, the Christian life is one for all and all for one. Those who come to the cross and repent of their sins and confess Jesus as Lord, you are given this kind of resurrection power. You have it in you. This isn't an issue of, well, she's just doing it better than I am, or, well, he's just living more faithful than I am. All of us have this kind of power that, that I just mentioned in four separate verses. So now, take your Bibles, go back to, chap, go back to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Because sometimes I think, guys, we read the book of Acts, or at least I've been reading the book of Acts, and it's almost like I've become envious or jealous of Peter and John. It's almost like I read this and I think, boy, you know, wouldn't that be cool to be you? Like, they're my superheroes. But Paul is telling you and me, no, 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 no. You have this kind of power. Now, you may not be raising people from the dead or healing people, but when I got through last night and sat down here, person after person came up and shared the kind of power that was, God was doing in their life either onto them physically or emotionally or spiritually or through them to other people. And I left last week inspired and encouraged because it was just an affirmation, I guess. Wouldn't it be futile if all we had to read about were other people that had this kind of power? Then it would just be a lot of case studies of, well, we could dissect it and figure out, you know, why they had this power. And, but no, 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 no. Paul is saying, if you know Jesus, you should have a story. If you've known Jesus for any length of time, you should have some sort of story or multiple stories of him working in you and through you because you possess the same power that these guys possessed. So what I wanted to do tonight, just by way of encouragement, this isn't, I'm not forcing the issue here, but I just, I was inspired last night. In fact, I think I told a couple of you, hey, next week we've got microphones here on the sides. I would love for you to share your story with us. I mean, I appreciated you sharing it with me, but I would love for others to be encouraged by your story. So here's what I want to do, just for a few minutes here. How has God shown up in your life? in a way that you can only give him credit? How have you seen Jesus' resurrection power in you, on you, through you? And would you just take a minute, 30 seconds to a minute, and just share it with us? This isn't about one-upping each other. This isn't about I have the best story. This is more of I left today knowing that the people of Cornerstone are living out the resurrection power of Jesus. That's what this is. And you, the faithful have gathered on a Tuesday night, and I've got to think there's some people in here 
that Jesus has been working through and in. So would you just raise your hand? Just take a step here. I know it's a little, uh, it can be a little fearful at times when everyone's listening. I don't know the words to say. Just take a step, please, and, and let us be encouraged by the way Christ has worked in you. So go ahead and just raise your hand. We've got a couple of microphones here, and they will get to you. How has Jesus been working in you, through you, around you? Well, I just... I, ah, sorry. Yeah, you're on. Okay. Sorry. I, I just want to... I always just want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for first, you know, saving my... I mean, saving me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm unworthy of that. Um, the Lord, he's, you know, truly blessed in that. But, um, I mean, the, just in some personal areas, um, I mean, I was able to go to um, a Bible college. I didn't... I wasn't planning on graduating from there. I was just wanting to live my you know, just do, do some things that I wanted to do, but I was like, okay, Lord, I'll give, you know, almost like, you know, compartmentalize things in your yeah. life, and I was like, okay, here, I'll do this, and uh, I'll just be, you know, be a little bit of obedient, but, um, you know, the, during that time, I mean, the Lord, he always was, um, you know, putting trials in my, in my path, and I was just always like, okay, I know I'm fighting against something, and I knew it was because I needed to um, you know, to surrender to, you know, to, you know, because God, he wanted me to, you know, to, to be somebody who could be, uh, you know, a leader and to be somebody who could be a, somebody who could, uh, you know, t- take on different roles and responsibilities in a greater area in church. And um, uh, I eventually, you know, I said, you know, Lord, I'll, I'll gra- graduate from Bible college. I'll go through there. And uh, I mean, you know, that was back in 2005 when I ended up graduating, and then, um, hey, I mean, um, then hey, you know, I've been able to take uh, you know missions trips to yeah. uh, Russia, uh, Jamaica. Last year, I'm going to yeah Jamaica in just another couple of weeks. Um, you know, having opportunities to to spread the gospel Amen. and uh, you know to you know to literally thousands of people, and I mean, yeah. it, it's a it's amazing to see what you know even if you just say okay, Lord. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I know this is what I'm fighting through, but hey, here, I'll, I'll give this to you. I mean, the Lord, he, he really wants to, to go above and beyond what yeah. we can ever think. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, praise God. Absolutely. Somebody else. How has God been working through you and in you and on you? And yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll share with you in just a moment, but I want to hear from you. Um. I was this, when I was born again. I was a single parent and struggling. I was so excited. I was on fire for the Lord. I was working at Arizona State University. And just to give you a frame of mind, I was really struggling financially, a single parent with a small child, small daughter. And I had literally um, a fourth of some peanut butter in a jar and five crackers in my refrigerator. I get emotional when I think about this, but um, I had talked to God all morning, and I was walking around the university because I worked there, and I said, Lord, I I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to feed my child? And literally, right behind the Hayden Library at ASU, and the campus is humongous, I kept praying, and tears fell down from my eyes, and at the side of the sidewalk was a 20, a 5, and two ones. What were the chances of that? I knew that was God. I had prayed. I was crying. I was going back to work. And I just said, I was so dumb. I go, 
is this somebody's I'm supposed to find and give back? <laughs> but it was amazing to me how something so small yeah. to most people was humongous for me at, Absolutely. That, at that age that in I your was time struggling. of need. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, there's one over here. Yes, when I think about it, um, I look back. I've, I've gotten downsized with a lot of different companies, and yeah. during during that time when the economy was real bad, and uh, God always provided a, a next job. And uh, I kind of wish I'd. I think I've learned now that I can trust Him. Yeah. And uh, not sweat it so much about what the next job is going to be, because He is going to provide. He will. The other thing is, is um, with my finances. Uh, you know, he's always provided with that, and uh, I've never had to worry about want or paying bills or anything like that. As long as you put him first in all things, yeah, then everything falls into place. So amazing. Thank you very much. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, we'll take one more, and then we'll get back into the text here. Yep. One of the things that uh, two things come to mind: one, um, giving and tithing and offerings. Um, I struggled my whole life with financials, including when I was married, and I, I used to say, no matter what, now I bless, I was blessed by benevolence with my yeah. church, and that really got rested on my heart after I got successful a little bit to have a normal paycheck, and I have been faithful now for two years, and God continues to expand my bank account and get me through the month yeah. in spite of it because I've chosen to give back to that same fund that blessed me. Yeah. And then the other thing was, um, after 26 and a half years of being married, my oldest son was, I filed for divorce and he was very angry, very, very angry. And all, I, as much as I tried to talk to him, he wouldn't have anything to do with it. And so I just finally gave it up and said, I'm, God, I'm just going to act and be okay. Because yeah. God healed me through that anyway. And when my son, after a while, looked at me and he says, Mom, why don't you look devastated why don't you look emaciated why don't you look like people who have gone through divorce i said because jesus christ has saved me and mm. i don't have to feel guilty i don't have to feel shameful and that i've had a blessed life with your father and now i'm going to go to the next life with without him but that doesn't change my love for you and my commitment thank you yeah thank you very much it's i love hearing those stories guys because I think that that's what we've gotten away from as a church. We've gotten away from, well, that story where I got, you know, a few dollars. It was just coincidence. That money I got or that new bill of health I got or that new job I got, that's just coincidence. I'm becoming more of a fan of, I think God wants to do something through you and allow you and I to have these incredible stories so we can share just like what Peter did. The healing that Peter did last week and when we looked at 3, 1 to 12, he raises a guy up that's been lame for 40 plus years, not so that the guy could not be lame for anymore. That was just a benefit of the power of the resurrection power of Jesus in you. The things that happen through you to other people, those are just benefits. What we really want to get down to is look at verse 12 here. Because this is where it this is what Peter was looking for, I think. And I think the, the stories that we all have are opportunities that God is opening doors for you and for me to carry the conversation through the amazing event, whatever that may be, into do you know him? Nobody and nobody and nobody gets to heaven because now they can walk. 
Nobody gets to heaven because now they, once they were blind and now they can see. Nobody gets to heaven because once they were dead and now they're alive. Those are phenomenal miracles and phenomenal stories. And I hope that God blesses you beyond belief. But guys, you don't go to heaven because you can pay your rent now. You go to heaven because you've fallen at the cross. And the Holy Spirit has descended upon you. And now you're living out what this whole book is about, being a witness for the King. And I've got to think that we're all here tonight because we want to learn and grow in how can I do it better? Because I know my neighbor, I know my coworker, I know my kid's going to ask me some questions that I need some information on. Peter picks it up in verse 12. So the, the, the guy that just got healed was clinging to Peter and John, verse 11, and all the people ran together with them at the so-called portico of Solomon. Um, and just if we have the uh, iPad up here, this is, um, I think I showed you this last week, this is where the beautiful gate is. So this is what the beautiful gate looks like. Can we get that up by any chance? Mm. Okay, well I can see it. So there's a beautiful gate that I'm looking at. And uh, if I spin it around, I'll see the portico. There it is. Okay. It's a beautiful sight. I wish you could see it. Um, okay, well if it comes back up, if it comes back up, shout at me here. Basically, it's just a long series of columns, and Peter finds now, I've raised this guy, and I have this opportunity. Now, again, he could have just left and raised this guy and walked into the temple, but look at verse 12. When Peter saw this, and what did he see? He saw people full of amazement, verse 11. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by own, our own power or piety we made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Okay, before we go any further, notice his audiences are Jews, okay? And, and, and what I want to start with, I guess, tonight is I think today we really err on the side of God loves you as you are, come as you are, um, show up and God just embraces you. Oh, and by the way, um, leave and go as you are and God will still love you and keep doing anything you want to do and God still loves you. And, and we've really abandoned, we've jettisoned away from this idea of repentance and we've, we've just kind of made this message just real fluffy and um, we've just, we, we've embraced grace, which is great to do that. We need to do that. But I want to say because of Peter's message here to this particular audience, sometimes you need to get um, real with people. Sometimes people need to hear that they are a sinner in the hand of an angry God kind of a thing. Sometimes people need to see what their sin has amounted to thus far in their life. And Peter doesn't hold back at all. You would think that at the birth of the church, I planted a church in 1999, and, and in fact, it, I competed with Cornerstone, and so you can tell how that went. Um, we met in a school, right? Uh, we met in uh, Tarwater Elementary, if those of you who live over in Ryan, over in um, wherever that is over there. And so, so, so we, in 1999, we planted this church, and Cornerstone uh, was meeting here in the youth center, and, you know, they were running, I don't know, five, six, seven hundred. We were running about 75, 90, 100. 
125, it was like a banner Sunday. And I can remember planting that church and thinking, um, okay, how do I get people in? I'd go to church planning conferences, you know, what's the strategy here? And the strategy was always, you know, at that time there was a big seeker movement, so you had to kind of be flashy and, and you know, embrace people, topical messages, and, and just kind of throw the nets out wide kind of a thing. So that's what we tried to do, and I learned a lot through the experience, was a, a senior pastor at a, for this church plan for a little over three years, and uh, just unbelievable experience, and, and my heart now when I hear about the Scottsdale plant or the Queen Creek plant, I can just embrace that because I know what they're going through. I know what it's like to set up and tear down every week and, and just try to, you know, get into the parking lot and wonder, not, you know, not like, you know, how many hundreds of people are coming, but is anyone coming today? One of those feelings. And I got to think, even though God blessed these guys immediately with 3,000, I still have to think it's in the back of Peter's mind, hey, we're starting something new. This is a new movement here. We are followers of the way, and this is kind of a brand new deal here. So I just healed this guy. God's giving me an opportunity. Maybe, maybe I should go topical here. Maybe I should do like an eight-week series on, you know, um, uh, you know, what it's like to be, uh, uh, you know, be a friend and, you know, we can start with a Toy Story theme and you got a friend in me and I was this guy's friend now and, but rather Peter's speaking to an audience here that he's just going to cut to the heart. Watch this. When, he, he starts by yelling at him basically. Why do you marvel at this? Why do you gaze at us as if by its own, our own power of piety we made him walk? Now listen to this. He says to, to the Jew who would understand this, and that's why he uses this, this terminology, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Oh, by the way, that's the same one whom you delivered up and you disowned in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you to be put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. That's how he starts his sermon. He starts it by yelling at people and accusing them. Now what's beautiful about the way that Peter crafted this sermon, if you go back up to verse 13, and guys, this is what I love about our Savior, is we could use so many terms that are accurate and biblical of which to call him by. Note the ones Peter uses. Has glorified his servant Jesus in verse 13. Look at verse 14. But you disowned the holy and righteous one. Peter's baiting them as if to say, I could go on and on on who this guy is because you are 100% wrong now. And I'm not going to let you off the hook. Let me go further then. Uh, I love this one because there's irony here. Look at verse 15. Uh, back, back half of 14, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life. I love that. You put to death the prince of life. And he just wanted that to settle in. This guy that you killed isn't dead. He's very much alive, and you just watched me raise someone after 40 years of being lame, due to the person that you put to death. You killed the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. Verse 16, and on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see now. 
and know. And the faith which comes through Jesus has given him his perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets whom you would have read about, you would know that his Christ, God's Christ should suffer, God has thus fulfilled. Verse 19. He just does not let off the gas pedal here. And sometimes, guys, I think we've got to get in people's faces. I think that we do a great job in our Christian world of, you know, here's an invite card and... and Gosh, I, you know, I don't even want to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to leave it on their desk and hopefully they'll see it. Or I'm going to leave it in their door, little jam. And that's, you know, and we leave feeling like I just witnessed to someone. Did you see that? Like I walked up to their door and I slid an invite card in, a rave card or whatever, and I just walked away. That's like, God, thank you so much for that opportunity. Peter's got, an, Peter's got a, a, a crowd that is, his, their gaze is fixed upon him because they're amazed that this guy's healed. And rather than go that route, he just he 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 knows his audience well enough, I guess I should say, to say to them, get on your face right now. If it, it, it like I don't even want to get close to you, is how wicked you acted toward the Prince of Life. But because I am a missionary to the Jews, I need to tell you this. I'm not gonna tell you about believing or, you know, just check it out if you have some time. I am telling you right now, you better repent. That's your only hope right now. Verse, verse 19, repent and therefore return that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, Remember in Romans 1 and 2, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. And now he's going to quote the Old Testament, which they would be familiar with. Verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed the prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, verse 24, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward. In other words, Peter doesn't leave any of the prophets out, starting with Samuel. From Samuel to every prophet you've ever read about, as a little Jewish boy or girl growing up, you would have known this stuff, also announced these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, this is how he ends his message, I love it. He, he, doesn't, like, he doesn't close with like, you know how you're supposed to start with like a joke or something and then like get heavy and then end it with, you know, some sort of like the keyboard's gonna come out and play and we're just gonna wrap it up. Listen to this. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Let's close in prayer. Like, I almost get the picture here, guys, that from verse 13 to 26 was like one breath. Like, Peter just, here we go, boom, and he just levels them. 
And he doesn't even stop. Have you ever been like so caught up in the Lord where you're just like having an out-of-body experience, but you know, I can't stop now. Like I've stepped in now. It's, it's, I'm out here. I, I went to ASU and I, I took a stats class and it was third year, I believe I was a junior, and I decided to share Christ with this statisticians class. And so, or statistics class, I mean. And so, I don't know, 30, 35 people or so. And so my idea was I was going to hand out these little survey cards and put them under their desk. I was with Campus Crusade for Christ. And so we put them under their desk, little five question, do you want to know Jesus kind of thing. And then I went to the professor and I said, hey, um, I want to do this because it's my understanding, even though this is a secular university, that before the bell rings, it's anyone's time. And it just so happens in this class, everyone seems to get there like 10, 15 minutes early. So could I do this before the bell rings? And I could tell, like, I kind of had him, like, legally, like, and, and so he said, yeah, before the bell rings, I guess whatever you want to do, you know, as long as it doesn't cause, like, a fight, um, just go ahead and do it. But as soon as that bell rings, like, that's my time. Fair enough? So I got there real early, super, super nervous. I'm passing out these cards underneath the desk. I had a buddy with me. And we get done, and now we just start seeing people file in, file in, file in, file in. And no one's really looking underneath their desk. Why would you, right? And so they're just filing. So it's about, we got five minutes left, maybe seven minutes before the bell's about to ring. So I come from behind everyone, and now I'm standing in front of everyone. And I said, excuse me, can I have your attention? And everyone's just kind of like, what are you doing? Like, who are you? And I said, my name's Greg, and I'm with Campus Crusade for Christ, and we just want to know what the spiritual climate here is at ASU. So I put these little five-question surveys underneath your desks. If you wouldn't mind taking them out and just filling them out, it'll take you two minutes at the most. And guys, once I said that, that was it. It was go time. Like, I can't get back from that. You step into that moment, and then you go and you trust God. But the key is you got to step into the moment. And that particular experience went very, very bad for me. Very bad. Like, I love hearing the success stories, but you're going to have a lot of what did I just do kind of stories. Um, Peter had no idea what was going to happen here. He just starts going. I'm going to speak truth. And to the Jew, they needed to hear, you need to repent. We're not too far gone that some of you were probably at the crucifixion spitting on the risen Savior. You better get on your face. There was a kid in the front row, uh, about my age, so maybe a little older. He pulled out the survey and looked at it, and then he went on about a three or four minute tirade filled with expletives and all kinds of stuff. And the minute he started talking, I literally just froze. Like I just, like I just wished Christ would come back right then, you know. Like, a little help Jesus right now would be really, really cool. Like, if you could just show up and shut this guy up. I mean, he was, he was like, physically upset, screaming and yelling, and what the F, and who are, are you, what is going on here? And I'm just, just, I was about a second away from crying. Like, I literally was going to cry. And right in the middle of the classroom, some, some lady, probably middle age or so, she was taking a class at ASU. Right, like, I, just, I was saying nothing. He was just screaming at me. She says to him, hey. And like, we all just kind of turned to her and she said, he said it was optional. If you don't want to fill it out, don't fill it out. But do us all a favor and just shut up. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. 
he grumbled, he mumbled, did something, threw it on the floor, you know. Professor comes in, bell rings, professor comes in, and I just crawl back to my desk, like I shrink in my seat. Couldn't think of anything the whole class. The bell rings finally an hour and a half later, and everyone leaves. No one says a word to me. And I just start scrambling, just picking up these surveys off the floor. And, and I leave that day, and I feel like, God, like, what was that? Like, really, what was that? Like, I thought, you know, I'm going to come in, and we're going to have a revival, and it's just going to be glorious, you know, right there in, in at ASU. So I'm walking towards the MU, and the same lady kind of catches up with me. And I'm just, I'm defeated, guys. Like, I'm just like, you know, where's the power now, Jesus? And she comes up to me, and she's choking up here, and she says, um, hey, I just got to tell you something. Um, I'm like twice your age, and I've probably been a Christian for twice as long as you have been. I've been a Christian for about two years at this point. And she said, I just got to tell you something. I would have never done what you did. But seeing you take a step of faith has so inspired me that I want to live the rest of my life with that kind of power that you have. So thank you. Like, just thank you. And then I, she walked away. And, and guys, you know, if it was just for that, right? Because, because just play it out. What if she does some great things because of that that, that you and I just never know about until glory comes? And I think the first half of glory is just going to be story after story after story of I connect to you and this is how you and this is how we're all connected in the family of God. Did you listen to Scott Rogers last week? Did you, were you listen to Scott? Phenomenal story, right? If you weren't here, he's a pastor in Northern Cal. And he got saved in this just kind of, it was a 2,500-mile road trip. His friend showed up from California to Grand Rapids and said, let's go to California. I got some stuff out there. And, uh, and Scott said, sure. And he wasn't a believer, but this guy was a believer. And so they spent the whole 2,500 miles, basically. This guy was just sharing with Scott, just being a witness. And Scott told the story of how he got there, and God broke him, and, and you know, he just didn't know what to do. And then if you were here last Sunday, you remember Scott got home from that trip and went into a non-Christian environment, his nuclear family, and just basically put a Bible down and said, I'm a new person, I'm a new creature. And then he went on to say, later on, his, both his parents have come to know the Lord and are living faithfully for him. God has used Scott, obviously, to minister to thousands of people. And we all clapped, and we all thought, you know, what a, just a powerful thing. You know who I was thinking about when Scott was telling that story? I was thinking about the guy that showed up in the van that said to his friend, Come with me out to California. That's who I was thinking about. Because he had an option, guys, as soon as Scott stepped into the van, whether I'm going to share my story with this guy or it, and make it somewhat of an uncomfortable trip for 2,500 miles, or I'm just going to shut up and maybe, you know, maybe we'll hear something on the radio, maybe we'll see a sign, maybe Scott will just start asking me about Jesus. And I just applauded the guy that will never see this side of heaven, most of us. But when we get to heaven, he's the guy that took the guy and God used his power to share with the guy that now is going to share with thousands. You have to step into the opportunity. Peter stepped into the opportunity and he said in their faces, get down and repent. And he didn't know how it was going to end up. He tried it once before in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. So maybe he's thinking now, I'll try it again. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. 
And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Didn't go as he had planned. They basically just got bum-rushed there. They got they get manhandled by a bunch of different people because people were ticked at them now. I want to get back to that, but before I do, notice what they were mad at. Look at verse 2. Being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus what? The resurrection from the dead. Go back up now to chapter 3 and go to Uh, where is it? Verse 15. 14, but you disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask for a murderer to be granted to you to be put to death the Prince of Life, the one whom God did what? Raised from the dead. A fact to which we are witnesses. Watch this theme that develops in the book of Acts. Hey, hold your finger there, I guess, if you want. Go over to chapter 4, verse 10. Peter says again, he's, he's, still, he's still preaching, and he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel by, that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands uh, be, here before you in good health. Okay, go one chapter over to chapter 5. Go to chapter 5 in the book of Acts and look at verse 30. Peter again 29, but Peter and the apostles answered and said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. Uh, go just one more place. Go to chapter 10, Acts chapter 10, and look at... Uh, verse 39, yeah, verse 39, Peter again, chapter 10, verse 39, and we are witnesses of all the things Jesus did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they also put Jesus to death by hanging him on a cross, verse 40, God raised him up on the third day and granted that he should become visible not to all the people but to the witnesses who were chosen before God, uh, before him by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him before he arose from the dead. Do you get the theme here? The theme that we need to hang our hats on, guys. The theme that I tell my students when I teach them every day. There are things that we can dismiss. There are things that we can choose to disagree on. There are things that you may like about Cornerstone or may not like about Cornerstone. But the one thing, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ... The one thing Peter wants to make clear throughout the book of Acts is you need to be a witness to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You and I need to take a bullet, if you will, for the resurrection. I don't care what necessarily you think about infant baptism. I don't really care necessarily if you're a pre-mill, post-mill, or a-mill. I really don't care, and we can swap stories about whether you believe in election or free will. But I care greatly 
if we sit around as a bunch of believers and start questioning, did it really happen? That is one of the foundational truths, and it starts right here in Acts chapter 3. The reason that you need to repent is because the person you killed rose from the grave. And that alone is what we hang our hats on with the Scriptures. Do you know that the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole entire chapter is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Do you realize that Paul, what Scott was talking about on Sunday, when Paul had his road to Damascus life-changing experience, the only reason that happens, and therefore, guys, again, extrapolating out, the only reason we have the epistles is because of Jesus rising from the grave so that he could say to Paul, why are you persecuting me? In a live, real, present voice. That's why we have what we have in the Scriptures. It all hangs on the resurrection. Peter just is proclaiming the resurrection here. Now, let's think about this for just a moment, and I don't want to get terribly technical here. But if you and I believe the resurrection, the question is, is why doesn't everyone believe the resurrection? For what, don't, what has no one found right now but the body of Jesus? So why do millions and millions of people that follow other world religions give Jesus the, the claim of being a good teacher? They'll give Jesus the point of being maybe even a rabbi or maybe even a prophet. But when it comes down to asking people of other world religions or other world views, do you believe Jesus died and rose again? The answer almost unanimously is no, he didn't do that. Now we have the opportunity at that point to step into a conversation and just simply ask some questions. Like, okay, do you believe there was a Jesus? And guys, the people that I've talked to, maybe you too, most Everyone believes that there was a human named Jesus Christ whom even extra-biblical authors talk about. You're pretty foolish to believe that there wasn't even a person named Jesus. Even the Jews who are still waiting for the Messiah believe there was a person named Jesus Christ who was a prophet or was a great rabbi. And they don't even like him and they believe in him. So you can't even... You, you can't say that he wasn't around. Okay, so now you have a guy living on earth. And like you and me, if you start living, at some point you're going to die. But unlike you and me, what we've discovered for 2,100 years is no one can find the body. Great men and women of the faith now spent their early years trying to discover that. Because, guys, again, if you can just show evidence, DNA evidence, um, bones, anything, Christianity just implodes. Like, we, we just have a big Bible-burning party if you can find any evidence that he didn't rise from the grave. What I want to do is I just want to throw out some theories to you. Let's, let's have a little school here right now. And so what I'm going to do is, again, it, it, can we... Is there any way to get the, uh, the iPad up or no? Is it up? No. I'm going to unplug it and then I'm going to plug it back in because that always works. I'm going to turn it back on and off. Okay. Somehow. All right. I'll just describe again what I'm looking at. 
I'm going to give you some false theories. And again, we have microphones here. I want you to refute the theory. Okay, so I'm going to throw out the theory, and now I need you to refute the theory as a Christian. Because you may be sitting in class one day. Hey, thank you very much. Excellent job. Good. Okay, um, thank you very much for doing that. So, okay, so here's the first theory, okay? The first theory we're going to call the swoon theory. And people actually believe that Jesus really didn't die on the cross. But rather he just fainted from exhaustion. And that when they put him in the tomb and buried him, there was still a pulse. A faint one. He swooned basically. He fainted. And then they buried him. And so because of that, when he was able to catch his breath after a long morning hanging on a cross... He resuscitated himself, broke out of the bands they rolled him up in, took the, the multi-ton stone and rolled it out of the way, fought off the Roman guard, and then left. And that's why you have an empty tomb. Okay, so just raise your hand real quickly. I want to do this. we got about four or five theories to go through. Raise your hand. Why is that? Why, how do you refute that? How do you say no to that? If someone were to propose that. Um, the centurions wouldn't have stood for him coming off the cross alive because they'd have been the next one up there. And so they, so we have centurions, Roman centurions that wanted to make sure he was dead. That, that's exactly right. Typically when you were suffocating on a cross out of mercy actually, they would crush your legs so that your, your shoulder blades would cave in and you would sink into your chest and suffocate. But instead of doing that, they pierced his side and, but they were convinced that he was dead. Because if, they, if any doubt, they would have been on the cross themselves, okay? That's one way to answer that, yeah. That's what I was going to say. When they pierced his side, blood and water came out separate, and that's... And so we know what, from medical experiences, that when that happens, the blood has coagulated or whatever, and when it separates like that, that is an evidence of someone's death, okay? Good, excellent, okay? Here's the second theory, then. Uh, the second theory is the hallucination theory. And the hallucination theory simply says that Jesus... When he rose from the grave and all the accounts that the Gospels have of Jesus rising and spending time 40 days on earth, everyone who saw them was hallucinating. They saw, they saw something. They saw something enough to believe it. It just wasn't Jesus Christ. How would you refute that? The, the disciples were ecstatic to believe because they wanted to believe so much that he would rise again that they had one of those episodes where they actually believed it. They were delusional. How, how would you refute that? What would you say? Or maybe it's true. <laughs> how would you, what would you say to that, that the disciples were simply hallucinating? Um, people don't share hallucinations. It's an individual experience. If you hallucinate something, it's, uh, you know, you see it, but nobody else does. So when a group of people see something, that's not a hallucination. They saw something. Excellent, good. Okay, so people don't share hallucinations. And guys, track again. Don't go outside of the scriptures here, okay? Don't go outside of the accounts. When Jesus rose from the grave, how many people saw him in the 40 days after he rose before he ascended? Does anyone remember what the scriptures say? At least 500. Maybe one or two could, could have dreamt it up. You can't get five. I can't get this whole room to believe the same thing in terms of we're all seeing something that just isn't there. It's just impossible. It doesn't happen. Okay? 
Here's the third theory then. Okay, keep going. Oh, Mike down here. Yep. I got an addition to that. The hallucination theory is when Jesus came back, there was also a bunch of people that were walking around with him. Right? So then you see your dead grandma. I see my dead grandpa. She sees her uncle. I mean, what, when does it stop? So yeah. it's like, okay, it's hallucination, but we're all seeing Jesus plus all these other people. Plus that all these see. other, yeah. Yeah, why, why is my aunt walking around? Yeah. It's one thing hey, to... Hey, Jesus, and hey, Aunt Martha. Uh, exactly. So those of us who, who have had maybe like drug experiences, you will know that, yeah, I can hallucinate. I can have some kind of, but it's me and me alone. It doesn't involve other real people, especially 500, over a 40-day period. It wasn't like we had one mass gathering and saw Jesus once, and then we all reported on it. This is day in and day out in different cities, in different locations with different people. It'd be impossible for that, that theory to sustain um, any kind of ground or footing. Okay? Third one, then, impersonation theory, and that is someone impersonating Jesus is the one who was walking around to the disciples. Okay, so they saw somebody. It was a real person. It just wasn't Jesus, somebody that looked like Jesus. How would you refute that theory? Why, why is that not a plausible theory to go with in terms of the resurrection? Somebody just was, in, it, it was an imposter. He was faking to be Jesus. Why, why would you, how would you refute that? Say it again. And what about Doubting Thomas? Get him a mic real quick because that's exactly what I was thinking as well. We have Doubting Thomas in what? John chapter 20. And you'll recall the story. There's one guy there that basically says, I don't even think it's you. I know I see you. I know I'm, you know, I'm hearing from you, but I don't think it's you. And Jesus did what to him? Told him to go ahead and put his fingers in the holes in his body where the nails went through his hands. Now, guys, there are some like there are some like Easter festivals where people recreate the crucifixion. There's some even down in like Latin America where don't they actually like nail the person? It's like crazy. Like a lot of them, like I know Mormons do and stuff, but they'll like t tie him, you know. Like, oh, Jesus, but we're tying him because, you know, no one's going to take a, a stake through your leg. But there's some places down in, but, but that's like crazy town. Like, so Jesus said, Jesus said to Thomas, look, I mean, they're still here. Touch him. Um, I broke my femur when I was a junior in high school, just snapped it, and, um, and they did a traction. So they drill a, a, a pin through your, through your shin bone. Then they pull the weights over, you know. And so anyway, when they pulled the pin out, there's a hole now in my leg. You can stick a straw through it. And when Jesus had holes in his arms, I, I, I kind of think that he, he I, in my weird thinking, I think that he said that to, to Thomas, like stick your finger in. No, like stick it deeper. Like stick it really far in. <laughs> like you can stick it all the way through if you want. Because, because Jesus wanted to prove to Thomas, look, this is me. Try all of them. Try this one. This is, I got a little thing going on right here. Try it. Stick your finger in there. It's like jelly. Like, stick it in there. Go for it. And Thomas did, and what happened to Thomas? The mic right here. He believed. He believed. He believed. Now, guys, again, those of us who are skeptics, we don't believe off of a whim. We don't believe off of a good trick. We don't believe off of an impersonator. We believe because it really was Jesus. 
Uh, comment over here, and then we'll go to the next one. Yeah, um, the apostles knew him better than anybody. They spent the last three years of their lives with him. I mean, how could you not out. know him? Exactly. Yeah, you, exactly. You can't fool them. You can't fool, you know, spend three years with someone. You can't, you can't just show up and, you know. Jesus had no identical twin. Um, so, okay, fourth theory then is uh, the theft theory. Okay, this one's probably one of the more popular ones, that the disciples stole the body. If anyone had anything to gain out of this, it would be the disciples, right? And so they spent time with Jesus, three and a half years. Uh, you know, hey, our, our Savior died, and he told us he was going to rise again, but we don't, you know, that was just kind of kooky talk, and so we got to go solve the problem. So they're the ones who took the body, they stole it, they buried it, they stashed it away for no one to ever find ever again. It's a popular theory, actually. What is the problem with that? What's just the immediate problem with that? Good, okay. Those of us who know a little bit about like the history of how they crucified and buried someone, Pilate wanted to make sure that no one was getting to the body. And so he would station a guard, a guard section there, a cohort, and these guys were trained killers to stand outside of a tomb and no one gets in or out. Their lives are on the line. 12, 11 now, ragamuffin, thrown together guys that fled during the crucifixion are going to come together three days later and take over this Roman Navy SEAL type of guards? It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And so that's just, it's just people that purport that just really don't understand church history or history at all in terms of how things were done. We fantasize things, guys, because we just don't want to believe the truth. Finally, this one then, uh, the unknown theory. The unknown theory is that the disciples just got lost. And so when they were going to the tomb, they went to the wrong tomb. Legitimate theory that people actually believe in. And just real quickly, do you know why this is wrong? Just simply, why is this wrong? Who took Jesus' body down from the cross? Do you remember your gospel story, Easter story? Um, Joseph of Arimathea, right? Joseph goes to Pilate and says, hey, listen, I've got these personal tombs. And I would love to, I mean, I, I worship this guy. I would love to bury, it'd be my honor to bury him. And he, they let him. And so if you were a local, you would know where Joseph's tomb is, his family tomb. It wasn't, it wasn't a mass grave. It wasn't a pit that they would just throw bodies into. These were personalized tombs. You can't mistake that. The disciples knew where it was. The Roman guards knew where it was. No one missed that point. And what I'm trying to prove, guys, is this. Do not be afraid. In fact, I'm going to say this. Don't, don't just not be afraid, but be proactive in proclaiming the resurrection. Be active in proclaiming the reason that I live is because Jesus is alive today. And that's why I can do or have or experience his power is because of the resurrection. Peter will hit this time and time and time again. I wanted to end tonight um, with just, just kind of getting a little Easter-y. Um, shout out some of your favorite resurrection hymns or songs. Because I think we only do them during Easter, and it's kind of a bummer based on how powerful the resurrection is. I thought of um, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. I, do, I love that one. I just love that. What's another one? The, the old rugged cross. I love that. Christ arose. Is that up from the grave? Right? Up from the grave he arose. 
and we sing it during like Good Friday or Easter service, and then we pack it away for a year. And it's almost like, okay, that we'll pull that out again during Easter, and we'll have lilies, and every Sunday should be like a resurrection Sunday. Christ is risen from Matt Marr. I mean, just those are power. So I want to encourage you tonight, I guess, as we leave tonight and break for a little while, get back into the resurrection. Get back into reading the gospel, the back half of the gospels and figure out like, Jesus, you really did rise from the grave because that power is in me today. When we do that and then play those kinds of songs, revisit those songs, get back into it really happened. It happened exactly like you said it would happen, God. And because of that, then the rest of the story hasn't been written yet, right? Christ is going to come back now. And when he does, guys, we're going to reign and worship him forever and ever and ever. I just, so get back into the resurrection, okay? Let me pray for us here. God, thank you so much that Peter did that. Thank you so much that Peter took none of the credit in Acts chapter 3 or 4. And I know we didn't get to it, God, and I know that, that Peter and, and John were arrested there. But in verse 4 of chapter 4, I, I, you just amaze us once again by adding to the numbers 5,000 more who heard the message of repentance and they believed. And God, I pray for everyone in here that when we face these situations over the next three or four weeks where we can step into our opportunity and proclaim you as Lord and Savior. And maybe even some of us need to say to our neighbors or friends or co-workers, you need to repent. That we would trust Acts 4.4 where God, you bring people into your kingdom with that message. And when they, when they want to give us thanks or praise or, oh my gosh, look what God is doing through you. God, maybe we'd be so quick like Peter was. To almost be amazed that they would do that. Because it's not through us. We're on this journey with front row seats to some pretty amazing things. So give us those amazing things this next month, Father. Let us come back in a few weeks with more reports of what you're doing in and around uh, Chandler here. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, we'll see you in three weeks. Is that correct? Okay, three weeks. Thanks, guys.